Hey everyone, welcome to the No Good Show, a theory of knowledge based podcast where I dive into why we know what we know. Before I get started, I just wanted to say that I'm still getting things figured out about the podcasting world and I don't have a good microphone yet. Please bear with me. If I'm enjoying this process, I'm definitely going to invest in a really good microphone and make this the best podcast that I can. Thanks for your patience. Also, this podcast is definitely going to change a good bit over time, so the content and basic way of framing it will 100% evolve a lot. Anyway, into episode one. I'm Charlotte Johnson, and if you're not familiar with Theory of Knowledge, it's a class that all international baccalaureate students take to get their diploma. From the IB website, TOK asks students to reflect on the nature of knowledge and on how we know what we claim to know. Pretty deep, right? Looking into how we know what we know is so interesting to me, and I honestly really love the idea of TOK. I think it's super important to talk about subjects like this with other kids my age. It exposes us to other worldviews and opinions that we might otherwise not have considered. I also think it shapes us into people that can see the other sides of arguments really well, so I can't wait to share these ideas with all of you. I can't even begin to explain how excited I am to start this podcast. I think it'll be helpful and fun for me and hopefully for all of you too. My goal is to simplify some complex ideas and share some interesting facts, studies, opinions, you name it, with all of you. I also want to dig into some questions that you, yes, you, ask me. Basically, the way it'll work is each podcast episode will have a different TOK-related topic. I'm starting off with the ways of knowing, but it'll probably branch off from there as this podcast evolves. Plus, if I only did the ways of knowing, there would only be like eight episodes, and that's really sad. What will happen each time I'm playing an episode is I'll post a question box on my social media and have people ask me questions or bring up topics relating to my grand topic that they want me to talk about. I'm going to start with some of the more surface level questions and then dive into the open-ended ones. Towards the end, I'll also throw in some topic-related ideas and opinions that I have that I want to share with everyone, as well as the personal questions people had for me. The topic of this episode is memory. It's one of the eight ways of knowing. The others are language, sense perception, reason, emotion, faith, intuition, and imagination. I mainly chose memory because my mom chose it when I showed her the list of the ways of knowing. So I guess I didn't really pick it, but here we go. Without further ado, let's get started with memory. Memory, as defined in the Oxford Dictionary, is the faculty by which the mind stores and remembers information. Easy enough. A memory is formed whenever something happens that impacts us or affects our emotions. Our brain starts by encoding it, which is turning information into a usable form for neurons. This encoded memory is then stored in certain brain cells in the memory centers of our brain. We can retrieve it from there with certain cues that pull it back out to the areas of our brain being used. Sometimes this process gets a little messed up, though. Ever felt like something's on the tip of your tongue? You know the answer, but you just can't get it out? Fun fact, this is called lethologica, aka tip of the tongue phenomenon. I love that name. Memory isn't always the smoothest function of our brain, but we use it unconsciously every single day. And it's something that develops throughout our entire lifetime. I think one part of memory that's extremely interesting is how we often think that kids have the best memory. I mean, I definitely did until I started to do research for this podcast. Kids always seem to remember stuff. They can learn poems and songs really fast, and they're freakishly good at those little kid memory games. You know the ones. They're made to help kids develop their memory, but the funny thing is, kids always seem to beat the adults. That's some good memory, right? That actually brings us to our first question from my dad. Why are little kids so good at memory match? He's only asking this because I beat him every time when I was little, and he wants a scientific excuse of why I won. Hint, it's just because I'm better. 
No, no, it's not. What's so interesting is that kids' memory is actually kind of bad. The only reason that kids are good at memory match and things like that is because their brains don't have anything more complex to store long-term in their tiny little heads yet. Basically, kids can remember things like the pictures on the cards in memory match so well because that's all that their brain wants them to do yet. It's called the eidetic memory, which is kind of the same thing as photographic memory. It's really strong in kids and chimpanzees. That's right, a chimp could also beat you adults at memory match. Boom. In an article from Penn State, I found that kids, while great at remembering photographs and short-term things like that, aren't great at remembering anything else. Basically, their brains can't understand yet that their memories aren't always true, while adults are better at distinguishing the wrong memories from the right ones and know that their memory might not always be right. Kids also don't 100% remember where they got the information they're telling you. They just didn't care. This is how you end up with some really cute stories about their imaginary friends that they promise you happened. Come on, it's so adorable. Is this really an issue? To answer the question, Dad, the only reason I beat you and Mom at Memory Match all the time is because I could care less about everything else going on. I'd probably have a more even game now. Don't worry. So obviously, our memories change a whole lot as we grow up. Which brings me to the next question from Meredith. Meredith asked, to what extent does a person's memory shape their personality? For those of you that aren't in IB, get ready to get familiar with to what extent. Such a classic for theory of knowledge. Awesome knowledge question, Mare. This question has actually been examined for ages. Especially now that life expectancy is longer than it previously has been, more and more people are getting memory-related issues such as dementia and Alzheimer's. Now more than ever, this question is brought up in the form of, if all your memories were to disappear, would your identity go along with them? From the 17th century, John Locke came up with his memory theory. He stated that a person's identity only reaches as far as their memory extends into the past. This would mean that as memories disappear, so does the identity. Gee whiz, that's pretty sad. Ever since I was super little, I've always loved, loved, loved rice and beans. It's a part of who I am. My identity. So filling. So nutritious. You can eat it plain or with whatever else you want. I go through periods of still eating rice and beans pretty much every day, but I definitely don't remember the first time I ate them. Does that stop me? No. I do, however, wonder if my love for rice and beans would be stronger if I did. Anyway, I also find this memory theory problematic because it implies that really little toddlers don't have personalities or identities because they can't remember a whole lot yet, but that's definitely not true. Luckily, a lot of studies are being done on this now, due to the prevalence of memory issues in today's society. A new study from Yale shows that our identity is actually much more impacted by our morals, rather than our memory. This has led to Alzheimer's patients being able to retain their identity as long as they can remember and retain their morals, allowing them to still be, in a sense, who they are. So according to this study, our identity is based on what we stand for. I can 100% see that. My morals have a large impact on who I am for sure, probably one of the biggest effects of anything else. But despite doing this research and finding other articles that supported this claim about morals, to answer your question, Meredith, in my opinion, I think that memory still has something to do with it. I definitely think that morals are at the core after everything I read, but aren't our morals strongly influenced by our memory? It seems to me that memory loss could have a big impact on who you are as a person, but much more so if it's memory loss of your morals, which can happen, I mean, definitely. Who knows? I don't know. Speaking of memory loss, we have a great question from Anaya. Anaya asked, do memories disappear completely 
or are they just put into the unconscious mind? This isn't exactly how she worded it, so hopefully I'm still hitting on the main ideas that she was asking about. So before I dive into my research, I definitely think that going into it, memories fully disappear when you're losing brain cells. Actually, that is going into my research. In an article from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, I found that memory loss is directly correlated with loss of communication between neurons, and that leads to the death of brain cells. The good news is that this only applies to those that have Alzheimer's or other related memory issues. For those that won't get Alzheimer's, of course they'll become more forgetful as they get older, which is in fact because they are losing brain cells. It's just not as bad of a loss as for people with Alzheimer's because that disease literally makes the process exponential. Concerning memories that we forget about at a young age, they don't seem to go away completely. At least, not that often. From an article by Paul King, a computational neuroscientist, our old memories tend to be reshaped, details degrade, memories are merged, and they can sometimes become something totally different. These merged memories can be seen as islands, and they're lost in clusters all at once. The whole island seems to disappear, but they aren't totally gone. These memory islands can be brought back to the conscious mind all the time through an association you get with the real world, such as a sight, a smell, something you heard, you get the gist. Technically, we only really completely forget something if nothing else ever brings it up again, but it's still being stored in a brain cell somewhere. The only way a memory will ever totally be gone, wiped from the face of the earth or your brain, is when that brain cell dies or a neuron connection is broken down. This brings up another interesting topic that was asked about. From Nyla, why do we forget trauma? That's a great topic to bring up. After car accidents or other traumatic events, post-traumatic amnesia takes place. It can be linked to physical injury or even just stress, such as after someone has been in an abusive situation or war. It can be defined as when a person blocks out certain information, often associated with a stressful or traumatic event. In some cases, people block out information that they obtained well before the event, causing some people to forget things like their name or history. They just don't even know themselves anymore. With physical trauma, it's pretty simple to understand. Basically, if the brain is cut off from oxygen, information can't travel throughout the brain, and some of the neurological pathways are lost forever. With external trauma, the amnesia is called disassociative. Stress from this external trauma causes an adrenal glands to release cortisol. When the stress is extreme, like in trauma, the amount of cortisol that's released is detrimental to the hippocampus. With both of these situations, the brain is impaired in some way. It all has to do with chemical imbalances and some pretty fancy science stuff. The good thing is that most people with am amnesia so bad that they forget their identity will often have their memory triggered and remember most of who they were eventually, unless the hippocampus was permanently destroyed by the stress hormones. Obviously, memory is pretty dang confusing. There are lots of things that can impact it and lots of ways it can impact us. So how reliable is it? Well, we already know that stories little kids tell us about their imaginary friends aren't true, even if they think that they are. I've got to admit, there have been countless times that I thought I was completely right, or that I remembered something really vividly, only to find out that that's not how it went down at all. We've already figured out how that happens, all the memory merging and stuff that happens once memories get old. Now it's time for questions people had for me. Also, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts. One of my friends, Lindsay, brings up a great question. Should memory be the primary way of knowing for history? That's some TOK terminology for ya. So anyway, let's face it. Before we could digitally record things, history was pretty much based on just eyewitness accounts. Everything we know or think we know about the past is based on what other people remember. 
This only excludes things like artifacts that we can document and physical structures that might still be standing. Things like battles and major events, and especially their details, can only be recounted by someone that was there. I know I exaggerate things I see all the time, so can we really trust other people to tell us the truth about what they saw? One thing about history and eyewitness accounts that I think makes them relatively reliable for history now is just the sheer number of them. There are so many. You can take a certain battle and find 20 accounts from soldiers all there saying the exact same thing. Unless they were being paid, which is kind of doubtful, unless they were Nazis, but I don't think that they're all Nazis. And I also don't think everyone's making up the same exaggerations. I'm not sure that memory should necessarily be the primary way of knowing for history, but in so many cases, it's all we've got. I think that it can be supported in many ways through things like newspapers, artifacts, other physical tools, but I do think that sometimes it can be a pretty big stretch of the truth. Something else interesting to think about is back to Nyla's topic of forgetting trauma. If soldiers were being interviewed after a war, how much would they remember and how much would be completely obliterated from their mind? Concerning how we record things today, I think that it's much more reliable for history going forward in some ways, but more problematic in other ways. I'm contradicting myself here, but it'll make sense in the end. Now more than ever, we can take pictures in the moment and take video recordings, which is awesome. It's great. At least, it sounds great. The problem is that with all this cool technology, there's also some pretty cool Photoshop technology and video editing technology out there that can let us turn our raw footage and regular photographs into something that's totally different. Think about some kids sitting in class in the year 2500 looking back at pictures from today with a bunch of fake stuff in the background and thinking that that's history. That's a pretty big issue. I don't think this would be a super big problem as long as we distinguish the fact from the fiction and only send the facts forward, or at least label what's fake as fake. Hopefully people in the future will know that we like to edit pictures and videos and not take everything seriously. Trust me, the sky didn't change to the bikini bottoms background in that beach pic. It was still blue, and there were still clouds in the sky. So yeah, I guess I was trying to make the point that now history would be more factual since we don't have to rely on memory, but I guess that there is still a ton of limitations. I don't know. TOK is pretty confusing. Another question I got is from Elijah. He asked what I thought life without memory would be like, and that's definitely really complicated. I think it would be really dangerous if we're talking about forgetting how to drive a car or something like that, but let's just say we forgot experiences. That would just be really sad. I think it would be a pretty pointless life. Memory definitely gives me a lot of purpose, and one of my biggest fears is forgetting. Like, other people are scared of dying and stuff, but I just don't want to be alive without any function left in my brain. I would be like a vegetable. I can't remember all the fun things I've done in my life and what I'm living for. I mean, that just sounds terrible. I think I would get really depressed and hopeless. Seeing other people with memory loss makes me so extremely sad and scared for myself in the future. It makes me especially sad to see people as young as their 40s already having really large memory issues. What's really scary about that is that you can't control it. I love talking about control, so don't let me go on a tangent on that. Fun fact about me, we're probably going to do an episode on that in the future. If all goes well. But anyway, memory loss, really scary. It's also scary because it doesn't just affect you, but it affects everybody around you. It can hurt your friends, your family, and it's just a really awful thing all around. The next question's from Taiganda. Do I believe in deja vu? Quick answer, 100% yes. I did a quick mini research on it just because I wanted to know more, and the sensation you get when it happens is because of a huge electrical impulse that's sent all throughout your brain from the temporal lobe. 
And I've definitely felt that sensation. It's so creepy. I get chills and all my goosebumps pop up. It's just so scary. You, you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this has happened. Like I have been here before. There was this one time in my math class where I was at my table doing work with my laptop open and all of a sudden someone walked by and something fell, fell off the table and my teacher said something really specific and literally all of those things at once just triggered it. And I was like, yes, this, yes, this situation has happened before. And not only that, I was sitting just like this with my legs crossed and my green water bottle in the corner of my eye and my teacher made that exact comment as if someone did something bad and something fell off the table and someone walked by and it's so weird it's so weird I freaked out some people in my class too because I cut my face and sighed really loud and I did that thing where I go whoa y'all that was so cool got some interesting looks but that's a regular occurrence let's be honest so many little details line up and I just don't understand though I'm not sure if this is the same thing but lately I've also been having a lot of dreams where all of a sudden I'm in class and I realize my dream is happening just a little part of it, but still, it's just enough to make you wonder. I don't think deja vu is a spiritual thing, but I definitely think something weird is going on with it. It creeps me out a lot and makes me wonder what's going on in the old noggin, but I'm not sure God is trying to tell me something by it. I 100% think it happens, though. It definitely happens to me. A ton. Relating that back to what we learned earlier, I kind of think that sometimes it might happen with all those little memory clusters and when they come back all at once. Since they get all mixed up and the details get fuzzy, maybe one thing that triggers it to come back kind of mashes all these different pieces together and makes us think that we've been in the situation before, even if it's just an interesting combination of a bunch of previous experiences and we convince ourselves that we experienced all of it at once. It's like we might have just experienced a situation before in one way, but not in all the ways together. We just picked bits and pieces of the situation and hot glued it together in our brain, and we genuinely think that it happened before. Very interesting. One last thing I was asked to mention was dreams. I think dreams are awesome. I love dreams. I remember dreaming almost every single night, and I tend to remember some weird bits. I just touched on my dreams coming true, but wanted to look at why we forget dreams. I mean, unless the neurons or brain cells are dead, shouldn't all of our dreams be floating around up there somewhere? What I definitely think is so weird about forgetting dreams is that sometimes I'll wake up and remember something so vividly and be like, oh shoot, I need to write this down or something. And literally five minutes later, it's all gone. It's as if the more I think about it, the faster it all goes away. So I did a little digging. I'm pretty invested in this one because my dreams are pretty cool. I found out that it all has to do with the neurochemical conditions in your brain while you're asleep or the REM cycle. Basically, when you're asleep, there's this one hormone that stops getting produced, and it's no longer distributed all throughout the brain. It's called, I'm going to give this a shot, norepinephrine, norepinephrine, something like that. And when you sleep, there's not a drop of the stuff in your cerebral cortex. That's the main part that plays a key role in consciousness, language, thought, and memory. Mainly, we forget our dreams because our brain doesn't care what we were thinking about, and doesn't care because we weren't really conscious. This is also why we often take a minute to wake up fully and can't actually remember the exact moment we woke up, which I've tried to do a lot. It's weird. It explains the feeling I know I get in the morning sometimes when my dad wakes me up and then has to come in 20 minutes later to actually make me wake up for real. 
even though the first time he woke me up, I knew he was there in the moment. The second time he comes in, I'm just really confused. It's like the first memory of him coming in is only a haze. It's like, I think that happened, but who knows? Well, he does. Another reason we forget dreams is because they're non-essential. Like I said earlier, we remember things that have an impact on us emotionally or things that cause us to have a response. Why would we remember a dream that quite literally made no sense? We were just confused the whole time. Anyway, I love dreaming. Pretty cool. So that brings us to the end of the first ever episode of The No Good Show, where we talked about memory. I hope that I answered everyone's questions and fully went through all the areas that you guys wanted me to talk about. If you want more information, have a comment, or even a follow-up question, please don't hesitate to get in contact with me, send me a text, a DM, I'd love to hear it. Again, I am so, so excited about this podcast. It's powered by your questions, so I'm really thankful to all the great people that contributed to this episode because your questions are really the framework for the podcast, and I also just love hearing what you're interested in. I definitely learned more from this experience by diving into your questions rather than my own because I probably would have just stopped really early on, so thank you so, so much. I had such a great time writing the script and recording, and I can't wait till next time. The next topic for the No Good Show episode two will be posted on my social media, and I'll be asking for more questions from you guys. I also might be putting up an Instagram just for this podcast, so I'll be sure to let you guys know to check that out. Thanks again for your support, and please let your friends know about this podcast on Spotify, and it should be available on other platforms soon too. I'm going to keep looking into how to make this process smoother, so thanks for bearing with me on the first try. Again, this has been the No Good Show. Thanks, and see you next time. <laughs>